Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. If you are an author, if you want to write a book, you need to listen to this episode because my brother is about to drop some serious knowledge bombs on you. He's a prolific author and also also an amazing publisher. So, Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm just thrilled to be here, Richard. Can you hear me okay? I'm using a certain microphone with Anchor today. Can you hear me okay? Oh, brother, I hear you, I hear you loud and clear. Beautiful. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to get into this. So, vertical momentum. Let's get into it right away, I guess, huh? Love it. So, talk. You know, uh, I love everything you're doing, and um, I, I'm a big. Uh, I, I only finished ninth grade, so I only have a ninth grade education. But I've read over now over six thousand books. I'm a big avid reader, so I definitely want to hop into talking about books and stuff like that. But first, you know, I know you're from the Pittsburgh area. I know you're a big Penguins fan. Uh, so, talk talk to us about. Uh, Growing up, where you grew up, and what kind of little boy was Mike? <laughs> I think the little boy that I was is pretty much the same person <laughs> as I am now, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that's where I'm at. I'm here because of my family. Uh, I, I, I work from home. I don't need really to be here. I could work from anywhere. But I love Pittsburgh uh, because it's close to family. Um, I grew up in a, a non-entrepreneurial uh, community, uh, non-entrepreneurial family. They all said, hey, go to school, get the job, and then you know, you'll know you make good money that way. Well, I was 16 years old. I was thinking to myself, yeah, I want to join the Navy. I want to become a Navy SEAL. That was my I'm, – I'm sure every guy says that. But I was thinking I was going to follow my dad's footsteps, my grandfather's footsteps, and join the military. When I joined up with a company that was a convenience store that just opened up right down the road, uh, two minutes down the road, I started working for this entrepreneur. And that's when I realized like, oh my God, whatever this guy does, this is what I want to do with my life. I just see how he drives really nice cars. He, he's dating really good looking women. He just seems like people. So what does this guy really do? And that's the first time that I ever met entrepreneur, someone who owns their own business. Uh, and I kind of took him and he took a liking to me where he started teaching me certain things. And the way that I kind of caught his attention was I didn't cash any of my paychecks for months. Maybe it was a year. I don't know. I, I guess it was a long cash paychecks at even at 16, 17 years old. Now, the reason why is because I kept thinking, man, if I don't have it in my hand, I can't spend it. So it'll be my ultimate way of saving. Like think about how bad I was thinking. I mean, it was great because I was great at managing money, but this is not how you build wealth. So one day he comes into the office. He goes, are you the kid that's not cashing paychecks? There's over $5,000 that you haven't cashed since you started working here. I'm like, yeah, it's my, it's my way of saving money. And he's like, oh my God, I've never heard of anything like that. I'm going to start to teach you stuff about money because it sounds like you have a good head on your shoulders, I guess. He started teaching me a little bit about mutual funds and investing. And even though I really didn't care about mutual funds investing, he's like, when you graduate high school in a year and a half, two years, uh, I, I think it's wise for you to go to Duquesne University and take up a finance degree. The reason why is because you'll always find a job no matter what in finance. I'm like, nah, I'm sort of a marketer. I love marketing. He goes, you'll never get a great job in marketing. You'll never get it. 
but finance, you can get a good rely on that. So whether that's good or bad advice, I don't know. I went to school because of him. In my final year of college, he gave me a book to read. And this is whenever I really started. He gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And my yes, life was Mr. never. Kisaki, yep. Yes, Great that's the book. To that point, I read that book when I was a senior year, senior college. It changed my life. And I knew, I knew when I graduated or the next year or whatever that I was going to get into real estate. So that's what I did. I got into real estate, bought a license, uh, it was my own licensed agent. And I, I bought a property for 3% down. As an agent, you get 3% back. So no, no money in, no money out, that type of thing. I had a $160,000 property, four unit building. Here I was an entrepreneur, 23 years old, started four different businesses from there. They all failed. Fifth one succeeded. I wrote a book about it, changed my life. People started coming to me saying, hey, can you help me write a book? And the rest is history. We've done 250 books since then, and we work with entrepreneurs all over the world. So Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I grew this business because I did not focus on this area. This is not a a very entrepreneurial community. Even people say, oh, there's Google and all these other companies. No, you try to start a business here, you're going to fail. But if you start to build it here and focus outward and get clients all over the United States and in the, in the Texas area and the Florida and New York, and then you can grow a business. And that's what I did. That's how it all started. So now, you know, one thing I got to say about Pittsburgh, um, they're some of the hardest working people ever. You know, I mean, they're grinders, they're hustlers. Yep. And I worked for General Nutrition for over 30 years. And they were based out, out of Pittsburgh. Um, so now a question, you know, taking you back to when that, that entrepreneur took you behind, you know, under his wing. And because I was in retail for a real long time. Um, one thing, I, the guy that I was with for the last 11 years, he took me behind the scenes and let me know, started teaching me about margins. He started teaching me about ordering and stuff like that. So how did this gentleman take you behind the scenes? What did he teach you? to start off your entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, great point. I want to touch on the Pittsburgh hardest working people. It's the it's the mentality of working for yourself. That's the that's the culture that's tough to break around here. But anyway, uh yeah, this guy did take me behind the scenes. He started showing me uh not only like the management that you need as a, as a as a as a person who is going to grow something, like you need to be able to I guess, have a clear mind of where you're going. He started showing me behind the restaurant, getting me jobs. And I'll, I wouldn't say that he gave me everything because he didn't. He just started to believe in me that I could do it on my own, which was kind of crazy because when I started to go on my own completely, it kind of like pissed him off a little bit. So it, it's it was almost like, okay, I'm going to teach you everything. I, I, I have a lot of faith in you. But once you start to make your moves, uh, I'm going to distance myself from you. And it was kind of scary to see that like this is the guy that i relied upon who it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows when i started to leave he's like whoa you're not going to help me with my company anymore uh-oh so he started to show me management experience he started to bring me into meetings with high level people with other multi-millionaires that he does business with he started to get me on conference calls here i am i'm this 22 year old kid and i'm on a conference call with people who own multiple chains of foodlands okay and these are really highly you know, influential people in the area and the way they speak together and the way he spoke to them. It wasn't all about, Hey, let's be buddies. There was a lot of back and forth. And it showed me that business is not all about, um, uh, you know, you being the nice guy. It was business is all about, Hey, I have a mission. You have a mission. Let's come together 
And however that needs to take place, let's do business together. And we, there's ways to compromise. And there's ways to work together. He showed me th that part of business that you can't really learn about until you're in those meetings and you're on those phone calls. So I really respect the hell out of what he did for me. It gave me the confidence, but he also gave me the boost to kind of go, hey, go out and do it on your own. Because when I left that safety net of working for him, because, you know, if I'm making $35,000 a year from him, I technically can feed myself. But when you cut that off and you go on your own, and you can't go back and that door is locked. You can't go back to him for a job and you don't even want to go back to him for a job. It's almost like, hey, you get kicked out that door. You're on your own. It's like in the movie 300 where you have to survive on your own. And that's where the real skill sets come into play because you can only be taught so much. When you're out on your own, you find what, what you're really made of. And I thank him for that. Now, like I said, you know, my friend, I, matter of fact, me and him had lunch yesterday. You know, I left 18 months ago and it, it, the relationship, you know, was like you said, it was, you know, boss employee. But once I left now, it's friend, friend again, because, you know, one thing he always taught me, you know, he always says business is business. Personal is personal. Mm. So a lot of times you have to, that was a hard pill to swallow. Be like, wait a minute, but we're supposed to be friends. Well, yeah, but business is business and pers <laughs> personal. So, so talk to us about, okay, you have your first property, you know, you could have went and be like, all right, I've done this once. Now I can do it two, twice, three, four times. What changed? What was the mindset change? I, 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 I'm not in love with real estate. I will tell you right now, there are people who do really well in it and there are people who do really well in it and they hate it and there's money to be made and there's no doubt about it. It's a great industry. I am a guy who loves startups. My blood boils for startups. So whenever I got into real estate, I'm like, ah, man, dealing with tenants and, and taking them to court and fixing sinks and fixing toilets, this is what I was doing. It, it was a nightmare to me. I mean, even though I was making money, uh, I, my heart was always towards what could I create from nothing? That's where my heart's at. Even to this day, I'm, I'm in real estate. I, I'm always looking for investments whenever it comes to me giving someone money and then they grow it in real estate. The last thing that I want to do is be a manager or anything in regards to operations. I love the act of real estate. But whenever I got into real estate, I was like, this is just a means to an end. Like it, it, it still is to this day. I love it for the fact that it provides a great income and great revenue stream. But my heart is not in it. I like to build something from the ground up. So my intention was real estate, but let's start a brand. Let's start a business from nothing. And that's what led to four businesses all over the all over the uh, the map when it comes to direct to home dog product service, which was my fifth one that succeeded. But a but a, a data and analytics company, an events company, uh, a couple other different products and services that that were just garbage. It was all about trying to create something that was like beautiful and sexy and big, but it was not in demand. And it taught me these things that are so basic to the average entrepreneur, like simplicity demand and vision. It taught me all those failures going into severe debt and then climbing out of it with the fifth business and then the sixth business. It's amazing how my heart is always going to be beating for starting a business. And that's why I love what I do now. I work with entrepreneurs in every different background. I'll go to events where it's all real estate people and they're all talking about real estate and you pick up on a few nuggets. 
but I just like being around them and then going towards people who have apparel companies and then going towards someone who has a direct network marketing business and then going and having another conversation with someone who has uh, a, a, another business that I've never even heard of. That's the fascinating part about me is seeing the whole world, seeing different people from different backgrounds. And I don't know if you can fake it. I don't know if it's all about money for me. It's really not. It's about I like being around different people and, and hearing different ideas. And I probably how I fell into writing books for entrepreneurs. I'm a guy who loves true stories. I grew up watching documentaries and just being fascinated with Evil Knievel and Billy the Kid. And I would do a lot of re reading and, and, and research on these people. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what if I could just turn my love of true stories into a business? Well, I don't need to be pigeonholed whatsoever when it comes to regulation in, in an industry or regulation when it comes to w where I can work. I can be anywhere and I can talk to anybody at any given time. I love it. Now, I'm a big documentary guy. I'll watch a documentary about somebody making a documentary. You know, I <laughs> love it. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Rush. But they did an amazing uh, documentary, and I watch it like four times, and I don't even like their music. <laughs> I just like, you know, I just like the behind-the-scenes stuff. So now, take us back to that 16-year-old kid, because 98% of people would not have – they would just said, you know what? My dad was in the military, my grandfather. I'm just going to go in and do the same thing. So what was it that – that extra 2%, what was it that made you think that – all right, I'm going to try something different and I'm just not going to do what somebody else tells me to do. Ah, man, I, I think it's it has to do with this rebel mentality inside of me. Uh, my dad, I would say, taught me so much when it comes to, you know, I guess what not to do. All right. And, and I know it sounds crazy, but my dad was a, a blue collared fix anything still to this day. He'll work on his car. He'll never take it anywhere else. His air conditioner—he's an AC guy. He'll fix every you know people's ACs or heaters. And so he's a mechanic by by nature. Like he just just works on things. But I would watch him go to a job and come home and tell me stories about the politics that were played at work. The the and he worked at the county and he would talk about how the scumbags who got hired were always people who were connected to the top, like the sons of, of, of those people would get the jobs. And, and it was just like, I can't believe that's how it operates. It's not the best man or best woman for the job. It's all about like who, who is connected to them uh, through family or through favors. So I started thinking to myself, when I saw him, the last thing that I'm going to do is allow anybody, anybody dictate my future. I need something inside of me. Maybe it's the rebel mentality. I brought up Evil Knievel and, 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 uh, and Billy the Kid and, and all these people I looked up to. They all were rebels. So maybe that infected me and said, you got to be a rebel all the way, 100%. Just do your thing and have nobody control you. So when it came time to signing on the dotted line for being a part of the military, I think at that stage, so I was, it was 2003, you know, it just happened with 9-11. They're in the Iraq and I, I ran war. I, I remember my dad saying like, I don't, I don't ever want you to become part of the military with this right now. Like, I remember him sitting me down and even telling me like, don't do this. Don't go. Like, so having him say that and then seeing his side of being an, an employee at this job that is like, it's miserable. Like he worked these for 30 years. And they would just treat these stationary engineers, which are people who would just go around and fix things, these hard workers like garbage. And he just was always miserable coming home and just remembering like, 
tell me like, I can't wait to retire. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't. So in my mind, I'm thinking maybe this entrepreneur thing is the way out. Maybe I'm looking at this guy. He has no boss. Whatever this guy does, I'm going in. And I have these skill set. I knew I was a great talker. I knew I could market. I, I knew I had some type of marketing skills. And I knew I had something inside of me that needed to come out. And I didn't know what exactly it was. I didn't know anything about business or even brand building. But I knew that I had all these great ideas. And it maybe goes back to certain things that I've done in high school where I would always put on big parties and throw my ideas and things. And it just really lit my soul up. So when I started thinking about that next step in my life, yeah, maybe school was part of it. I still think that was a big financial mistake. Maybe I wasn't ready to start my own business. I just knew that I could never be an employee for the rest of my life. And I knew that I couldn't be controlled. I needed to be a guy who could just go wherever, whenever. So I think it's the rebel mentality to answer your question. And it's never left me. And I love that, you know, because, um, you know, I was part of, just gentlemen owned, um, like I said, a GNC. So, you know, you're, there are only certain th parameters you're allowed to follow. And, you know, if you want to do anything outside of the lines when you own a franchise, you can't do anything. So you're pretty much, like you said, you're stuck in that. In that. So now talk to us, you know, because a lot of people, um, I was on, a, I got invited on a podcast last night and I was a guest and we were talking about, you know, failures. And I don't, I believe that failures are events. They're not people. It's just something that happens. And, and like one of my mentors, Ed Milet, always tells me, you know, that you're, you know, things happen for you. They don't ever happen to you. Mm -hmm. So now, even though, you know, four businesses didn't go well, how did you just keep going and start the next one? Because a lot of people would have been like, you know what? I'm done. Uh, I, it's a wrap. It's over. I'm going to go get a job. <laughs> so what yeah. was that? You decided, all right. All right. I, I screwed up on four. Let's go for five. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. Good, good question there. So what was the reason? What was the genesis of keep of the keep going mentality? Yep. Well, you know, there, there's a couple things to answer uh, in regards to that. But number one, Robert Kiyosaki in his books, he always talks about how <laughs> four out of five businesses fail. And I remember reading these stats out there, but he had this foolproof plan of, okay, well, if four out of five businesses fail, what the, the foolproof plan is and just create five businesses. So here I am on my fourth business, reading stuff that Robert Kiyosaki's putting out there saying he failed. Why not just create one more? So I kept thinking of that. And, and I guess the other part of it is I always thought to myself, you know, just give me time. Just give me a little bit of leeway. Just give me a little bit more information. Give me a little, give me one more day and I'll figure this out. I don't know if other people can be taught that. I think it's inside them. There's this drive that just give me a little bit of time. I know that in college, when I used to go after the, the, the prettiest girl and there was a girl in college that was the prettiest girl. I knew that I didn't have the looks or the suave, the the money. I was always probably the most poor kid in school. If you go to Duquesne University, they're all nice cars. I had an 88 Honda Civic hatchback that barely ran. I knew that I, on the surface, was not the right pick. I knew that, but just give me a little bit of time. It took me 12 years to finally land that girl, but it I just give me enough time and I will win this thing. Same with business. 
I, I maybe I didn't have the patience as in like, oh, it's going to take me 10 years to figure this out. I was like, well, I know that I have lasting power. I, I grew up listening uh, to about stories of Rocky Marciano and, and these people who are just incredible fighters. I never really watched a full Rocky Marciano fight, but he's the only undefeated heavyweight champion of all time. And all these people take a beating. Like I just am fascinated by people who take a damn beating and keep going. So those people who watch Rocky the movie, technically the Rocky the, the name does come from Rocky Marciano, uh, but the true story is based off of something else anyway. Um, anyway, people who take a beating and keep going, I'm fascinated by them. So the, the more of a beating that I would take financially with my social circle, um, with the major defeats, I just kept saying, I'm getting closer. I feel like I'm getting there. I, I'm getting smarter. My backbone is becoming a little bit more secure. I know that I can speak a little bit better. I started noticing progress in me. And maybe I didn't see it financially, but I noticed that what, what, what gave me purpose, what gave me this sense of identity was being an entrepreneur. So as a person, I was growing. What's crazy is that the more successful I started to become or feel – Everything around me started to kind of like fall apart. Like I could, my social circle started to change. Oh man, I'm starting to notice my, the way my family speaks and thinks. And, wow, this is really different. This is not right. This is, but I'm starting to become successful with business. So I'm starting to notice that in order to get to the next level of my life, I needed to change and I was changing. So internally, I started to feel this change. And then obviously, I started to feel like I was a little taller, a little bit more attractive to the marketplace, a little bit more attractive to women. Like the more you become strong with your identity, the more you just feel like you become unstoppable. And so even though I was failing on surface, deep down inside, I felt like I was getting stronger. And then eventually once the fifth one hit and I started to make money and then I started seeing people come my way and saying, hey, how do you start a business? That's when I was like, oh, I have something that most people don't. I have something that most people would have hit that first or second failure and given up. I have something that most people really value. And maybe it's not the brains right away. Maybe it's not the, the looks or certain skill sets, but I have lasting power. And so all of the hard knocks that I ran into gives me this sense of, oh, I can help people wherever they're at. I know what you're going through. I'll give you a quick little story here. Uh, Whenever 2014, 2015, maybe this is like the, the really low points of business. Um, my water broke in my house. My pipes broke because I couldn't afford heat. So I had no water and no sewage for over a year. And here I was thinking to myself, if I'm able to, this is a test, by the way, everything that comes your way, I'm, I'm thinking of it as a test. Okay. Do I have what it takes? Do I really want it bad enough? And that's another thing. I used to gamify everything. Richard, I used to think to myself, maybe this is just a, a roadblock to see from God, how, how much do I really want this dream? And if I can pass this test, maybe I deserve it. Maybe I deserve, I've, you reap what you sow, right? So will I reap it? And, and, and I'm a big Jim Rohn fan. So maybe I kept even thinking back to what he always said, the people who get the harvest are the ones who plant the seeds. Maybe I just need to stick around understand this farming game of business and plan enough seeds. So after I got through all these hard days, I also started to have a sense of I can overcome anything. I don't give a shit what happens. I know I can figure it out. I need a thousand bucks. I'll figure out how to get a thousand bucks. I need to sell this tomorrow. God's going to give it to me. I'm going to give the strength that's going to be there. I'm going to figure it out. 
So you start to rely on these skill sets that you obtain from the failures and maybe the big, big hurdles that you have to overcome. And this gives you a lot more momentum, a lot more strength, and the marketplace definitely takes notice. And then you become rewarded financially in addition to all the other benefits. You know what, brother? If this episode ended right now, that would be perfect because you <laughs> threw some serious fire down. <laughs> and you know, Robert Kiyosaki always says, you know, because I was that was the first book I ever picked up at, for self development was don't ever ask how can I afford how always ask how can I afford it. Don't ever say I can't afford it. Damn right. So it's yeah. a different mindset. But I got to ask because, you know, I've been homeless um, and I used to have to go in Burger King to go to go wash my ass. So Jeez. how did you get clean? How did you get washed if you didn't have any water for a whole year? Man, I would go to the gym. I still had a membership at L.A. Fitness and there was other gyms that I joined up uh, that that I had 15 bucks a month. I would shower there uh, every once in a while. I'd go over to my parents and be like, hey, can I shower here? They wouldn't. They had, nobody knew, by the way. Not a single person knew. Um, so how would I shower? It'd be at the gym or even at my parents if I was able to go over there. So that's one. How did I get running water? I'd get bottled water. Bottled water would be everywhere. I had bottles everywhere. And it would be, you know, you can get bottled water for $2.99 for like 35, 30, 30 bottles. So that's how I brushed my teeth. That's what I drank. Uh, it, that, that was it. And then how, how do I take a shit? Well, I bought a bunch of buckets, all right? And I would shit in buckets and then take it down to the river. So <laughs> that is how you survive when you are put to the test. And so, it's an amazing how – And it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away what you just said, Richard, about you are homeless. So probably gives you a whole new perspective. Yeah, so guys, if you're listening to this, this is real talk. This is no BS. This is no fluff. This is real-world people doing real-world stuff. Um, so now, you know – talking about books you know you're looking at 2016 2017 you know if i knew my family if i told my family hey i'm gonna write a book or, or i'm gonna go into publishing the first thing they would say was well don't you see all these bookstores going out of business why would you get into a business that's failing <laughs> you know what I'm yeah good point man how, how insane is that books they're they're old school nobody reads books anymore Wow, man, they don't get it. All right, so you look so back at so yeah, so tell tell us about that because I'm sure you heard a lot of that also. Oh man, they kept saying everybody. By the way, the big thing that whenever I started growing was Facebook ads, 2015, right? It was amazing, and it still is big to this day. But it was way bigger back then. It was four X was everywhere, right? So everybody's like, you got to go with this sexy business and all that. Well, here I was when I wrote this book in 2015 is when it launched. The girl I was dating, the girl I chased for 12 years was my editor, all right? She's the one that put it out there. It changed my life. So here I am writing this book, being sold on Amazon, changed my life. You go back into Jeff Bezos' history, he had heard the same shit. He was told, what are you doing? You're going to go and compete against the Barnes and & Nobles and all these big companies? He didn't create Amazon for anything except books in the beginning. His vision was much bigger. His vision was what you see to this day. And I'm, I'm assuming he probably has a vision right now that you don't even think about that's going to be going towards in 15 years. Anyways, he was all about books. So you start to look back on certain entrepreneurs and you look at even the, the Richard Branson. Richard Branson made his money from a magazine. So you're looking at, I look at people and I used to look up to Richard Branson. I don't anymore. I think he's, uh, I, I don't align with certain core values that he believes in. But anyway, he made his money from publishing. Jeff Bezos made his money from books. 
So I'm thinking to myself, what changed my life? Well, this book. Why can't I help people do the exact same thing? Well, it's kind of difficult, Mike, and this is me doing self-talk. This is really difficult to write this book. Well, of all the other businesses, I realized that what why I failed is because I was going towards stuff that I thought was really sexy, really like, oh man, this is cutting edge technology stuff. Guess what? A lot of other people were doing the same thing. So the noise was there. I couldn't break through that noise. I had no money, no connections, no resources. But what if I could take something that's really hard to do, by the way, to write a book, and then I would make it very convenient and easy for people, and then I would make it sexy? What if I can make books really attractive? Oh, wait a second. Now I have something. I have a story because it changed my life. The book really did help me. I can make it convenient. This is what Jay, Jay Bezos did with books. Hey, you buy from your house. It comes right to your house. You deliver it as fast. It's convenient. Beautiful. What if I could make the whole book creation service convenient for anyone? And then I started to do a little bit more research. I realized that not only can books be multi-purposed on many different levels, I know that books will lead to certain other aspects that's psychological. I would read books like Robert Cialdini's book called Influence. Yep. And the moment – Oh, yeah, you read that book, Richard? Yep. You read that book, you'll find out that anybody who writes a book and teaches something, two things happen there. They become an expert in their field. The, the, the market automatically assumes they have influence. But the other part of it is you make it a best-selling book. Oh, now you have social proof. So you have three things working for you from having a book. And, and then you, I we and had, don't realize that the word author comes from the word authority. Yes. Yes. You know, well said. Thank you. Yes. As soon as I put my book out, you know, I guess they considered me authority because if you have a book that's published out, that means, you know, you have something to say. So I think, you know, and I feel that everybody has something to say. You know what I mean? Well said. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and when, when you are, are able to, and I'm a big believer in uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. Do you like him at all, Richard? Oh, I, lo I love him. So, yeah, guys, if you're out there, start to follow Jordan Peterson. Anyway, he wrote a book called 12 Rules of uh, Life, and he has um, you know, an antidote to chaos. That's what it's called. Anyways, he talks about this self-authoring program that he helps people out with. He's a clinical psychologist, and if you can help someone dissect where they came from and where they're going, then you can help them with their life. And what I realized through the book creation process in the first couple, by the way, there's a long story of how I started to get the first couple. But when I started to do books for other people, I started to realize that I was helping them for the very first time dissect where they came from, what they stand for, and where they're going. And what that did to me personally was give me this sense of value. I'm helping them not only with their business life, but their personal life. They become much more clear from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And it gives them a sense of identity. So the book not only just helps, helps the readers, it helps them. So yeah. here I am not only helping them grow their business, I'm helping them. Do you know what that did to me? It gave me this sense of, holy shit, I'm valuable to this world. I can help people. Mm -hmm. and, and and Jordan Peterson, there's so much that he says in regards to the self-authoring program. But the more you do that, the more the market responds to you. So not only did it help the, their business, help them, it helped me. 
it opened doors up for a world that I had no idea of. People in Bitcoin, people in financial services, people in taxes, they started to come to me because they needed a book to help increase their authority. They were teaching me what they knew and they were paying me for it. And I got to work with them for hours and hours and hours directly. And then I was able to gain their trust and help them in other aspects of their life. Well, obviously my doors of opportunity started to open up. I could become part of different businesses. My information level started to increase. I started helping other people who had nothing to do with that world. I was gaining um, personal value and business value automatically. So when people started saying, why books? There's a couple different reasons, but it's really intrinsically where it's, it, you know, this, th this aspect of creating stories and helping people bring their stories to life. Holy smokes, the value that you can add to the world by doing that. It's, it's amazing. So it helped me as a person it helped my finances, but it started to realize my gifts and passions were based off of, uh, of helping others. You know, if you really want to break down entrepreneurship, your value is based off of how much wealth you can provide in those around you. And I realized that as long as I can help those, if I could be of service, if I could help you bring your story to life in a books, Richard, you're going to look to me as a person that is, is an aid is of value. But what if I be of service to hundreds, maybe thousands of people, then all of a sudden, the, you can get the the life that you have you always have always dreamed of. The way that you get to where you want to get to is by helping enough people get to what they want to get to. And it doesn't have to be the most sexy business or anything. But if you could just help them in one aspect, like creating a book, like creating a podcast, like helping them get their taxes done, oh, then you're valuable to the world. Now, isn't that something that Mr. Zig Ziglar always said? If you want, <laughs> if you can have anything you want in this world. If you help enough people get what they want. <laughs> yes. The question I have, because, you know, when I wrote my first book, um, I didn't write a second one yet. It's coming, though. Uh, it was very cathartic. But I think why a lot of people are afraid to write a book is, first of all, you have to deal with yourself and then you have to deal with other people. You know, like when I wrote my book and everybody and I told them, OK, it's out on Amazon. And they're like, wait a minute. What would you say about me? I'm like, don't worry about it. No, it's not about you. The book wasn't about you. But I think a lot of people are afraid to write a book because, unfortunately, sometimes when you have a book like mine, you know, coming back from drug addiction, homelessness and alcoholism, I had to rip off the, the scabs to, in order to heal, in order to write that book. So, you know, talk to us about that. You know, some people having that fear of putting stuff out in public and what others are going to say about it. Ooh, good point there, Richard. It's the fear of for the very first time in your life, potentially, not always, you are going to be judged. You are going to be judged based off of who you are, or who you were. That's scary, man, to put your story out there to, you know, your beliefs, your lessons, but where you come from. If you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you've done it long enough where it doesn't bother you. But if it's your first time out of the gate, it's scary because you don't know what people are going to say. And then here's the other part of it, Richard. I, I think that you've probably ran into this. How many people came up to you and said, who are you to write a book? Who do you think you are? And whether they said it to you directly or as a comment or even in passing, you started to realize that some people around you were not rooting for you to win. 
they're all of a sudden not on your side. They may say they are, but whenever you start to make moves and do something that most people want to do, like writing a book, and they haven't done it, they're going to say, oh, man, this guy, why does this person even think he should write a book? So there's a couple yeah. things when it comes to fear that, that cross your mind. It's not only fear of being judged, but it's fear of, of seeing what's really in your world. Who are the people that are really around you? It's a scary moment because sometimes what you see right away is not what you want to see. And it's going to give you a clear path of what you need to do with your life, whether it's overcoming that fear of I need to overcome what people are going to say about me, negative reviews, uh, you know, people are going to judge my story or the, the social circle that you, can, you currently have needs to change. A lot of it is a, a scary feeling, but once you overcome that, now all of a sudden you become a little bit more invincible for the next book and the next video and the next podcast. And it becomes habitual every time you deflect all this negative criticism. I love it. Now I got my friend, Steve Sims. We, we a lot of us know Steve Sims, Mr. Bluefish himself yep. was in the show. And he's like, my first book, you know, in, in his English accent, he's like, I had a ghostwriter write it and they delivered it to my house and, and his wife started reading it. And she looked at him. She's like, this is bullshit. This is not you. This doesn't even sound like you. <laughs> so he actually had to throw it out and start it all over again. So talk to us about a lot of people that, you know what? I'm going to write a book. I'm just going to have somebody ghostwrite it for me. Yeah. So yes. talk to us about that. Well, if you go back to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, do you actually think Robert Kiyosaki sat down and wrote that book? He absolutely did not. A woman named Sharon Lecter is the one that brought it to life. Yep. She's the genius behind the writing. It is Kiyosaki's stories and lessons. Some say it's not, but let's just say it is. Well, Robert Kiyosaki is a multimillionaire. The last thing that he should do is sit down and write a book. Every book that we put together is based off of probably 110, 120 hours worth of work minimum. For Robert Kiyosaki to take his strengths away and apply it to something that doesn't really make money directly like writing, it will make money in, in, indirectly, but not him sitting down and writing a paragraph does not yield $1,000 that day. So it's smart for him to outsource his weaknesses. And if you talk about a ghostwriter, the goal of a ghostwriter is to do exactly what your videographer does, your web developer, to take you and bring it to life professionally in a certain medium. Our ghostwriters will do an interview with you, hear your stories, lessons, all that. I do the interviews. I, I'm going to record it. I send it to my, my ghostwriters. They're the ones that write it. When it comes to the ghostwriting aspect, it's supposed to be pretty dead on in your first run through, but it's time for you to make your adjustments. So a ghostwriter is going to get it close. They will never be you. It can't be you. It, it's impossible. So you could go through your own book that's written in a way that's professionally done, and now it's time for you to tweak it and adjust it. And now you're almost what we like to refer to as writing, writing the ship, okay? You're, you're, just, you're just making these small corrections, small adjustments. So that way, when people pick up this book, it sounds like you, it feels like you. If they were to meet you in person and then read the book, it's a direct connection. If they pick up the book and then see you in person or see you online, it should sound pretty close. A ghostwriter, though, is supposed to be. And if you make a lot of money doing what you do, the last thing you should do is take the, your attention and, and, and energy away from that and focus on something that is not a revenue-producing activity directly. So that's why I recommend if you're an entrepreneur and you hire a ghostwriter, that's what we do. 
when I started to read certain books, the big books out there, some of the biggest books you've ever read, they're all done by ghostwriters. And even if not, they don't even say so. You read the Gary V's of the world, right? Gary V will proudly say, I've written more books than I've read, and I haven't even written my own books. So you find out these big name people are really going in on their strengths and they outsource. You want to model these people. And my business is doing that for entrepreneurs in every level. And it's rewarding to see, wow, this person did a four hour interview. Now they have a book and that book is yielding X amount of dollars in five different funnels that they're running. All of a sudden they're multiplying themselves in ways that you never thought were possible with zoom technology and with ways to, to speed up the entire process. Speed is a, is a, a major core value to us and whatever you could do in your business and whether you hire a ghostwriter or not, guys, you really need to get your message out there and as fast, as fast as possible in, in as much convenience as possible. The, the easier it is for people to know who you are and what you stand for, the better you're going to build relationships with those audience members. I love that, you know, and like when I wrote my book, because because I started out as a low tech redneck, so I actually wrote everything down on yellow pads to for when I wrote my book. But you know, but like like my friend Gary, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says, um, you know, fuck what you're not good at. <laughs> yeah, triple down on what you're good at, and then hire everybody else to do the stuff that you're not good at. And I think a lot of people have that, you know, that. Per- an, uh, paralysis of analysis they just think well i'm i can't do it all so i'm not going to do anything you know like me i know i'm i'm good at interviewing i'm good at talking to people but i suck at graphics i suck at copywriting so we have a team is that what you're talking about you like maybe the person has you know they're a good speaker or orator but they can't write worth the crap so hire somebody right exactly oh no so hire somebody that does Exactly. There's there's a lot of great speakers that I work with, but they but but they're their own worst enemy when it comes to writing. The reason why is writing is so difficult is because it's a whole different muscle in your brain. How many people actually sit down and write every day? It, it's not that often. So for you to develop that that muscle, it will take you a long time. And let's just say it takes us 110, 120 hours. If if you're not a writer, I'm assuming it's gonna take at least double that, maybe three times, maybe four times that. What is one hour of your time worth? What is a hundred hours of your time worth? If you can start to monetize that hour of your day, what's it worth to you? You'll start to realize that people in real estate, people who are thinking about the next lead, building relationships, speaking on stage, that's where they make their money. So if you were to take your brain power away from that, you're, you're going to detract from that strength. Gary Vee says it very well, even though I haven't really paid attention to Gary Vee recently, he does say it really well, where you just have to go all in on your strength. You're like an airplane where you need to go all in on that uh, in the beginning to get off the ground. And if you can't get off that ground, then you're not, you're not a productive entrepreneur. You're not a productive airplane. So whatever you could do, Make sure you focus on the who and not the how. Richard, I'm assuming you read that book also. Who, not how? Have you read yep. that one? Yep. If I got the, my books going off. <laughs> yeah. Good. Guys, read it. There's a book called Who, Not How. There's people I've worked with, like a Mark Evans DM, a Joe Evangelisti, and all these high-level entrepreneurs. 
they are masters of this. They are all about finding the right person for the job, not mastering the job itself. Do you really think that a multimillionaire is going to try to understand every aspect of connecting domains and email marketing? No, they find the right person for the job. When it comes to podcasts, I'm not go my podcast. I have a, a syndicator. I have a person who I send the file to. They're the ones that take out all the the the, the lulls or the different noises. They spend the hours and the time doing that. If I were to do that, I'm going to hurt Dreamstarters Publishing and my other businesses. That's what they do every day of their life. So they are masters of it. They could do it much faster than me. Even though it's my podcast, they're the ones doing all the really time-consuming hard work. And I'm a book guy. So even though that... You know, I tell people, hey, the who not that I'm still doing the exact same thing. I'm outsourcing my weaknesses. Our strength is book creation. Your strength may be video. Wherever your strength is, you focus on that. You outsource the weakness. Okay. Now uh, we're now we're going to talk. You know, you know, Gary. Um, I've talked to him a couple of times. We we've hung out a few times. But you know, one of the things he says, you know, for the next two years, audio is going to become king to where you know like clubhouse um and audible um like for me after i lost my sight because i'm 80 percent blind um i had to start finding another way to get knowledge so i went to audible and now i'm like listening to like <laughs> five or six books a week so talk to us about you know for people that you know they may have a book out why they should have why they should have it on amazon why they should have it on audible you know, even eBooks, because you could just create an eBook once, and it and it's infinite. You can, as how much how much money you can make off of it. So, can you please talk about that? Yes, uh, I agree with him. I think audio is the way to go. Uh, it, but you know, it's not just Clubhouse. It's not just. I think it's everything. So, give you an example uh, why audio is so important to me. Every night, and I know this sounds crazy, but every night, um, I usually fall asleep listening to some speech or lecture or podcast. Every night. So, and the reason why I, I do that is because when you go to sleep, your brain is soaking in information, whether you know it or not. Okay. And so you're multitasking. The reason why audio is so powerful nowadays is because you can multitask. When I go on runs, I actually don't listen to music anymore. I listen to podcasts, lectures, all that. Uh, it's the same thing with what Gary's saying. It takes less water. Human beings are like water. Wherever the, the least resistance is, that's where it's going. If you could multi, if you could drive, if you could run, if you could do whatever, listening, you don't need to watch anything anymore. You're, the brain power that it takes to, to read is a little bit more. Now, I guarantee you'll probably pick it up on a few things more if you're reading because it's a whole different muscle to read than it is to listen, but you're still getting the information. And so the reason why you want to write a book is to become very clear on your message, which gives you an advantage because once the book is written, you can turn it into an audiobook and people can read it whenever, wherever, however you want it to be done. But now you've already wrote it. It's clear. It's in your mind. It's such a surface level piece of information that if you get on a podcast, you could talk about it. Now you can multipurpose what you just wrote. So when you go on a podcast like this and you say, hey, go to my website, Dreamstarters Publishing or richardkaufman.com and you can get a copy of my book. Now, all of a sudden, you're you're leveraging your voice twice because if they listen to you and then get the copy of the book and then they find out you have other stuff where well, you have your own podcast and you have your own book on Amazon ACX, you can now become part of their life. 
and it's through audio. So how do you really build a relationship with someone? You make it so it's easy for them to have you in their life. Okay. And, and I do watch a lot of videos and I, and I still listen to a lot of people, but the, now I feel like I know Jordan Peterson. The more I listen to them, if he were ever to come to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or ever call me up on the phone and, and offer me, Hey, Mike, um, I have something for you. You want to buy? There is the sales already done selling. It, it took place weeks, months, years prior. So the more you could be a part of them through the through their ears or through their video through video or just become part of their life, their daily schedule. I have a lot of people out there that are my clients that do daily podcasts. Just imagine if, if someone gets so fascinated with listening to them or reading their books or listening to their books on audio that over time one offer comes up, the person's ready. There's a problem in their life that's so bad that needs fixed. Hey, I've been listening to a Mark Evans, or I've been listening to a Rich Cop Richard Coffin for years. This guy has something. It's time limited. I'm going to strike at it. The selling is not done on that day. The selling was done over three, four years or five years of listening to them. So if you can do this, if you can make it easy as possible for people to accept you into their life, I think that audio is that nothing beats it right now. I think that that's why podcasts are growing. That's why people are listening because there's this awakening of, wow, I could get information while I sleep, while I run, while I drive very easily. And I think if you don't do that right now, you're going to hurt. You're going to hurt down the road for sure. And, you know, and I believe, you know, I love it when I could just go up. So I got to make sure I don't have my Alexa down here. I could just go to Alexa and say, Alexa, play Vertical Momentum Podcast. And <laughs> or on Siri, you know, boom, it's there. So, but, you know, now I want to talk. Uh, uh, I'm just so grateful that you just, you hanging out with me today. I just want to say thank you, first of all. Um, you know, I love your philosophy. You know, the greatest marketer wins. And I'm big on marketing and I'm big on psychology and I see, you know, like when I first wrote my book, it was a good book, but the cover sucked until somebody pointed out, like, listen, you know, your, your cover like really sucks. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And so he's like, but I want you to, don't take it for my, I want you to go down to the bookstore, go in the section you're, that you're going to be in and look at all the covers. And I came back, I was like, dude, you're right, man. I <laughs> sucked. So talk to us about, you know, you can have the greatest book in the world. But if it doesn't pop, nobody's going to buy it. Oh, yeah, man, marketing. I'm telling you, that it's not the greatest product or greatest service that wins. It's the greatest marketer. 100%, no, no, no uh, if ands, or buts about it. So if you do have an amazing, amazing story, amazing lesson, there are people out there who are going to look at your title. And if the title of the book is confusing or too many words or it doesn't give a clear, concise answer of how it's going to help them in their life, they're going to look away. If your cover looks like it's outdated, they're automatically going to assume you're not a great business person. You're not a great brander, not a great marketer. So you're going to be subpar in their eyes. It, it, it might be wrong, but you, you know what's it, cover design and writing, it's all subjective. The goal here, though, is to put your best foot forward. If you could pull, pull up someone's cover of their book and it looks clean and professional and simple and it gives a clear answer of how it's going to help them with their life, the chance of them actually – turning the page, buying it, subscribing, going to your website, downloading it, uh, getting a free copy. All they had to do is pay for shipping. They have to know 
not only about what the book's going to do for their life, but how can you be of value down the road? And so everything kind of has to be connected. Like if you have a great looking website, but a bad looking book, then they're going to say, man, th these dots don't connect. Something's not right. I know that you get better in time with everything. So don't ever think that, oh, I screwed up on the cover of my book. You can always revise it. You can always update it. You can always change it. The goal is to start somewhere, put it out there, maybe get feedback just like you did, and then adjust and get better and get better and get better. Progression is really all you should be shooting for. However, when you're thinking of your own cover, guys, it's got to be clean. It should be two to three colors uh, max. There should be two to three dominant colors. You don't want to think of a book in terms of a big six by nine in your hands. You want to think of a book in a thumbnail size. How many people are going to see your book on a shelf at a library? Very few. How many of them are going to see your book on Amazon in a, in a one by one square? A lot. So start thinking about in terms of you know thumbnail sizes, three words, how to or guide. And then also two to three dominant colors that are just pop. And that those colors need to be in connection with your brand. Because once again, this checklist that everybody has in their brain, they're going to say to themselves, how long have they been around? How, you know, how, who have they worked with in the past? Uh, what's their brand look like? What's their book like? Like, uh, do they have a book? Do they have a podcast? Uh, you know, do, do, does it sound like something that, that can help me? This checklist, you know, they're going to look at your social media. Are you posting every day? If not, why not? There's something up here. He only has two posts. Something's not right. Oh, he only has one book, but the guy down the street doing the same thing that Richard Kaufman's doing has five books. Uh-oh, this guy may be a little bit more committed. So you got to understand from a, from a consumer standpoint, there's a checklist in everyone's brain. And you need to have it clean. You need to have it simple. You need to look professional wherever you go. You need to sound professional. You get better as time goes on. The key here is to keep doing it. You, the longer you write books, the longer you stay with this podcast, you'll realize where you're weak at. But over time, it becomes a little stronger and a little stronger. So that's why I think it's so crucial that you need to put a book out there first to see what people are saying and then make adjustments. I'm glad to hear that you made those adjustments and you realized uh, that there is there was a weakness in your in your design and you fixed it. Yep. And like, I, you know, like if I if I go to a bookstore and I'm looking at, you know, some for real estate, say, and I pick up two books and one just says million dollar real estate. And then the next book says how I went from homeless to millionaire with using real estate that's the book i'm going to pick up and, you know because a lot of people think oh i'm going to put out a book but it's nothing but facts and i tell everybody you know facts will tell but stories, stories will sell every <laughs> you know because everybody loves a story so talk, you know talk about talk to us about you know making sure that you're, you're whatever you're putting out has a story to it that's going to get people emotionally involved in it Great point there, Richard. Yes, the story is what matters. The reason why is because how you connect with an audience member is not based off the value of information that you have. It's based off of where you come from. Grant Cardone always brings up that his dad died when he was younger. Why does he say that over and over and over? Well, he wants people to know and damn certain he wants them to know that he built his company himself. He had a very tough upbringing. 25 years old, he always talks about how he had drug problems. Why is that? Because he wants people to know that he was not his perfect saint. He went through some difficult times. 
Tony Robbins brings up stories about how he had his last $20 and how he gave it to a mom and his kid at the mom and her kid at this, at this restaurant, because he was so blown away of how this kid treated his mom. And, and these stories matter because now all of a sudden someone can read that, listen to it, watch that and say, I know where that person's coming from. If you were homeless, Richard, and you kept that to yourself, you know the disservice you're going to do to your brand. The people out there listening or reading or watching, they need to know where you come from, what you went through, because they're gauging your story. They're, they're, they're kind of making a decision if they can trust you or not. The story is what matters more than the lesson. Of course, you want to give value. You want to demonstrate value. You want to give lessons that's going to help people in their life. But the more important part about this book that you write is where that lesson came from. And the more that you can connect with an audience member, whether it's through your love of dogs, you went through a divorce, you had some very difficult times, you had some drug problems, you went and you did this, you did that, your grandfather taught you these lessons. These stories humanize you. And I think that a lot of people out there forget about how important it is to humanize the entrepreneur. I think that most people that I pay attention to nowadays, and it is the Jim Rohns, I think it is the Jordan Petersons, I know a lot about their, their, their life, and that's what makes me like them more. And if you don't share certain pieces of information, you will never be able to affect change in their life because that person needs to know who you are all the way for them to really trust you. I love that. You know, like next week I, I'm going to be interviewing um... – um, Mr. Mark Cuban's brother. And uh, we're going to be talking about, of course, Mark and the Dallas Mavericks, all that stuff. But the way we connected, because he's a recovering addict and I'm a recovering addict, 33 years clean. So like you Hold said, on. it's people will connect with you because of your, you know, your story. Now we'll talk about branding for a minute. Cause I always throw this analogy out there. How would, you know, cause I'm a big sports guy. I always have been, you know, imagine if you turned on, you know, ESPN, Michael Jordan's out there giving a speech, walks out in Adidas jumpsuit, Adidas sneakers. People would lose their mind because he is Air Jordan. <laughs> yeah. you know? So a lot of people don't realize, you know, that you are your brand. Like for me, I had somebody, he has a top five podcast in the world, asked me to come on. And he said, I can't wear my baseball cap. And I told him, uh, no, thanks. Um, I can't do it. He's like, what? You're turning it down? Then I told him about the story of why I wear the hat in honor of Mr. Chris Kyle that lost his life to help another veteran with PTSD. And it actually let me wear the hat because that's that's my, you know, that's what I do. That's, you know, that's part of my brand. So talk to us about branding and standing behind your brand. Wow. Wow. That's an amazing story, man. Um, yeah. And Chris Kyle and yeah, you have these beliefs. Like I, I, you know, I'm in this uh, master class with a guy named David Breyer, and you know, it, I'm a big believer in that you can never know enough. So I'm always trying to surround myself with other high-level performers. And he said something this past Saturday uh, that he said, like, "Hey, everybody's trying to create a brand, but you don't need a brand. The brand needs you." Mm -hmm. Too many people out there are trying to build something that's not a part of them. And the brand is it, the brand needs to signify your core values, what you believe, where you come from, and, and it needs to do it in a short amount of time. So everything is about you know speed of 
showing people what really matters to you. So I think that too many people out there are trying to create a watered down brand, something that affects a lot of people. When I think of a brand or a strong brand, I think of, I know who that brand is for without, without even thinking, I already know that brand is able to connect with their audience right away. When people are creating their brand, they have to understand this is, this is not going to be for everybody. Uh, and when you're creating brand, if it's, it, it is for everybody, then you're on the, then you're not good at branding because branding is, I know when I feel something, if I, if I'm going to drink something that is for me, that is exactly the type of product that I need. So the people who struggle with branding is they don't know themselves. They don't know who their audience is. The people who are great at it, they know themselves all the way. They, they know the hill that they're going to die on. You bring up a great story when it comes to the Chris Kyle reason why you're wearing that hat. You're willing to die on that hill for that. That's your personal brand. You might have a brand that you have in many different companies. And, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs who own many different businesses and they have many different brands. But everything kind of starts with their own personal brand first. They know what they stand for. And so that way they could become a part of certain brands because it kind of falls in line. The more you know yourself, the easier it is to speak up when you know it's time to speak up. You know when you talk to someone that the words you say and how you say it, the audience member knows if you're the go-to person or not. That's your own personal brand. You need to make sure that other people know what you stand for and what you really believe for them to be like the, I guess it's almost like the bug light approach. They have to know how strong that light is in you for them to be drawn to you. It's almost like planting that flag, Richard, where your brand, when you when you post it up and, and everybody can see it, they know if you're the person or not for them. They know mm -hmm. if you have a Christian background or you believe in America or you uh, your core values are very in, in alignment with uh, Arate. They know what you stand for. So that way, it's not like you chasing people down. Your brand is this light in the sky, the bug light that people can be drawn to. It can attract the right people in your life. And the people who your brand does not mesh with, they stay away. So a strong brand really comes from a strong identity. And the more you know yourself and the more you know your audience, the more success you're going to have in every aspect of business. I love that. You know, and, you know, podcasting, well, you know, that's my platform. And, you know, I know I can't out Gary Gary. <laughs> I'm going to try to out Gary him. You know, but like some people said, you know, I'm, that I'm the Joe Rogan of G.I. Joe's. I can't be Joe Rogan, you know, but I can be the male Oprah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so sometimes you have to realize, you know, you can't be what everybody else is. You have to, you know, find your niche and find out, you know, like for me, I'm about, I'm all about building relationships, you know, like, for, like now that you've been on the show, you know, this is where the relationship begins and I'm into building generational relationships. You know what I mean? Love it. So, you know, I, so I think that's what, you know, you have to make different, you know, be a little bit different than everybody else. So I got a quick three questions, the quick rounds. You guys got it. Boom, boom. Answer the questions as quick as you can, because I, I love hearing this and I've had some amazing answers to these business questions so ready for the lightning round let's go all right if you had to start all over again with little to zero dollars how would you do it if i had to start over right now i would have written a book day one 100 no doubt about it i i waited too long to write a book and it could have been about socks it could have been about dogs 
writing a book about bananas will change your life. And the reason why is because it builds authority. So I waited too long to become confident enough to put my story out there. So I would start writing a book early on. I have clients that are 12, 13, 14 years old writing books. They have an advantage in life, clarity, but also awareness. Boom. Number two, what is the most important lesson you've learned while being in business? You are as strong as your circle and you are only as strong as your circle. The people you surround yourself with matter more than you even know. So who you do business with, who you surround yourself with is the end all be all of everything. Wow. That's got to be probably the most important one that I've heard anybody ever answer that question. So last, last one, what top three pieces of, of advice would you give to someone starting in business on this Friday? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to go back to three first chapters of my first book, Vision, Simplicity, Demand. If you're going to start your business right now, think of yourself when it comes to vision, almost as if you're going to write your dream obituary. How do you want it to end? Can you picture a year out, three years out, five years out, whatever? Vision, simplicity. Keep everything as basic as possible. Simple lessons, simple stories, simple message, simple brand. Keep it simple. Demand. What you are going to create or help the world solve, is there a demand for it? As long as there's a demand, you're going to win. Uh, I love it. So now, um, last couple things, and I know I want you to enjoy your day and your beautiful week. Um, And I usually have a a question that I don't normally ask normal people, but you're not normal. So I'm going to ask you that. (laughs) You're kind of like me. Uh, But um, talk to us and how do we find your podcast? You know, because and one thing I love is you you have a uh, a Facebook group also. So how do we find find those and tell us a little bit about each of them? Yep. So uh, to start off, uh, the company that I own is Dream Starters Publishing. That's how I make most of my money. The podcast is based off of my inner circle. So I have this thing called Mike's Inner Circle. You can go to mikesinnercircle.com. You'll see what it's all about. And you'll have uh, access to all my um, podcast links. So those are the two best ways. My Instagram is a great way for you to see what I really am about. Um, it's, I look at Instagram as a resume. You know, I don't look at it as... Uh, oh, I can't wait to post something to get likes. I look at it as if someone were to go to my Instagram, will they know who I am and what I stand for in a second? So if you want to go to my Instagram at the dream starter, that's the best way, the podcast and my inner circle group at mikesinnercircle.com. And if you're learning about book writing or you want to learn about it, I have a YouTube channel. Everything can be found at dreamstarterspublishing.com. Okay, so now my my usual last question, but not for you. Uh, you know, we live in a crazy world. I live in New Jersey right now. Um, we're starting to go back down on lockdown. Uh, you know, we've got grandparents homeschooling kids, and um, so and I got parents that are driving DoorDash, Uber. So you know, if you ask the average New Jerseyan to do something in seven days, they're never going to get a chance to get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening right now to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do it. So if there's somebody out there right now that's hemming, hawing, don't know if they should write a book, if they, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get some clarity? Man, I mean, it sounds selfish. And I, the reason why I built this whole thing was because I need to answer this type of question. But 
you, you know, nothing happens fast. Really, it doesn't. You can make decisions that will impact your life a year from now, two years from now. But it took me years for me to be profitable. So I would say the thing that you could do in the next day is to join a group. Okay. You need, you just need to shock your system by being around people who speak at a, a certain vibration or a certain level. Uh, and, and so I would say if you were to join a group, the, the three that I recommend hands down right now that don't it really doesn't cost that much money. Number one is 365 driven. Okay. That's a group of really great entrepreneurs. Mr. Tony Watley, Mr. Tony Watley, one of the show next week. Oh my God. Great. Great point. Okay. So I, if you're out there and you're listening, please look up Tony Wadley. There's three people in my life that I could say that changed my life. And Tony Wadley's one of those guys. So he has a group called 365 driven join it. It's $365 a year. Now, why is this so important? The reason why you need to just shock your system and get around the right people is because they all have a certain attitude. They all have a certain direction in their life. They all believe in certain things that are where they're at right now is not where they're going to be tomorrow. They're all growing and you are the product of your surroundings. So join a group like that. The other group group I would join is Arate. It's a great program. A lot of people that I know who are super successful join it because they're always being pushed up into different spheres of success based off of these individuals. And then the other one would be, and this is the selfish answer, Mike's inner circle. If you are a Patriot entrepreneur, if you do want to be around other Patriot entrepreneurs, people who want to show that they love our country and you want to make moves and you want to be around other people making moves, you can go to mikesinnercircle.com. You'll see what I'm talking about, but that you could do that. And that's $17.76 per month. So these are things you could do right away. And inside the inner circle, once you join, you could see different vehicles and tool sets and all that of other people who have things to offer. We just inter interviewed a guy, uh, what was it two days ago? Th yeah. Today's Friday on Wednesday. There's a guy who helps people, you out there could have your own supplement brand in, in, a, in a week. You can have it. He basically puts all these supplements together. You can have your own protein. You can have your own energy drinks. It's amazing what people can do. That's just one piece of it. You can be an investor in storage units, all that. But the thing is, if you're around the right people, you can start to get really solid on an identity that you want to be known for five years from now. And then, then you can make the right steps doesn't happen 24 hours, but getting around the right people can happen in 24 hours. You know, and I think that's um, amazing. You know, some of the people you mentioned, you know, uh, Andy Priscilla, you know, from uh, with any and him and uh, Ed Milet, our partners are in that this, this syndicate. So that's something amazing. You know, Tony Watley. Um, so but now the last question, and I, I might be totally off base, but for me, I'm a believer in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And without him, I can't do anything. So my question to you is, you know, are you a, a man of faith? And if you are, if there's somebody out there right now struggling with their faith, what is, you know, because they say that if you don't feel close to God, you know, you're the one that moved. <laughs> he's, the, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if somebody was struggling with their faith, now, like I said, I might, I may be totally off base, but I don't think I'm not, I am. Uh, if somebody's struggling with their faith, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours? Great question, Richard. And I'm glad you brought this up because I am a very big believer 
And over time, I've become even a bigger believer. I was raised Catholic my whole life. Um, but here I was in 2013, 2012, when things were really grim in my life. And I remember sitting there in church and I, I would go to church every Sunday. And I remember sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, man, every homily, I used to love homilies, every homily, they're just asking for money. And, and I remember thinking to myself, what, I'm not getting anything out of this. What I, there's no, I didn't feel really close. I didn't have this relationship. And the girl I was dating in 2014, 2015, somewhere in there, started to invite me to this non-denominational church, a Christian. Uh, it wasn't Catholic. It's just Christian. And for the very first time in a long time, I felt this relationship. And here I was in 2014, 15, I was not financially secure. It was really dark days. So I went to this non-denominational church for the very first time. And right then and there, I started to feel like there was a relationship. I started to have this stronger belief. And here's where it gets a little crazy. So when you asked me a question, I got a little chill on my skin here because it reminds me of a day that I knew that I was on the right path. And here I was in 2015, I was struggling. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm maxed out on credit cards. I don't know if this book business is going to work. Nobody's signing up. I thought they were going to. I knelt down in front of a cross that I got from Italy, Rome, Italy. When Pope John Paul II died, I was over there. I was there for that. And 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 they even brought in Benedito, and, and I was there for that too. And, and Pope John Paul, in his last mass that he ever held at, uh, at St. Peter's Square, uh, he blessed this, this cross, and it's actually right in front of me at all times at my desk. And I had it up on my wall, and I knelt down, and I said, God, can you send me a sign that I'm supposed to do this? I feel like I am, but please, I'm struggling. I remember I was very, very in very bad shape financially. And I said, please send me a sign that I'm supposed to do this. I have no idea, but I can't survive much longer. I leave my house that night, probably four or five hours later. I'm at my parents. I would go over to my parents for dinner a lot. I still see my parents a lot. Uh, so I go over there and, and I got a phone call at like eight o'clock at night and a guy who I really didn't know said, Hey, um, by the way, I just, uh, took a look at everything. I'm ready. Send me the invoice. I'm ready to start a book. Now, back then I was charging $2,200 for a book. So all I needed to send him was like a thousand dollars because it was half down, half upon completion. So I sent him a thousand dollars that night invoice and he paid all of a sudden. It, four hours later, I had a client and here it was like I begged. And, and by the way, I didn't have any really big, any clients then. So it was like the biggest thing. Tears started coming down my face that, oh my God, this is real. This is real. I know God is up there. I asked four hours later, here it is. I have money on my account. If you ask, you will receive. So over time, give you a little more information here. Over time, I started to become more spiritual. What I've learned, guys, and maybe you can attest to this, Richard, the stronger my faith got, the more success I had, the more I believed, the more I shared about it, the more I talked about it, the more I started to put it out there on social media, I started attracting other believers. And maybe, maybe that was what yielded the success. But what happened was I started realizing, wow, the more I believe, the more I talk about it, the more I share, the more success I have which now you become an example. You become this person who doesn't hide what they really believe. A lot of people are told, don't share it with, with your family and friends. Well, this is a huge piece of who I am. Having a strong faith 
is a is a major piece of my DNA. So now I make sure people know it. And you know, if you don't like it or if it, I don't care. I'm just going to believe in it and this is who I am and this is what changed my life and and I'm telling you the stronger my faith gets the more at peace I am. The the more I realize that everything kind of falls back on my faith. You, the more you get into personal development, you realize how in alignment all these personal development books are in with the Bible. And so you start to see how it all connects. And I'm telling you, the more I do this, the more I see the most successful people uh, ha- are believers, are people of faith. And it just is another um, reason why I make sure people know where I stand. So faith is a huge part of, of who I am. And I'm telling you, if you're kind of lost out there, if you're going through this pandemic and you're, you're, you're going through all this insanity and you don't know what to do, maybe the answer is not externally. Maybe the answer is internally. And um, I, I'm glad you brought up that one piece of if, if you don't feel it, maybe you moved away. And there's a reason why you know certain things happen in your life. Maybe it's time for you to look inward and the answers uh, are, you know, it put in God's hands. So I love it. You know, so uh, sometimes I guess I ask questions that not a lot of podcasters will, but that's okay because it's my show and I can do what I want to do. Um, and I love getting different people's perspective, brother. I'm, and I'm so grateful to be able to hang out today, and um, I'm truly humbled and honored. Now, this is not going to go out till next next season, but if there's anything that I can do and anything you need promoted. Um, I'm, I'm very big on LinkedIn. I think that's where I do most of my damage. So if there's anything I could ever help with, please let, let me know. And I'm so grateful that you're part of my inner circle now. Thank you very much, man. And I really didn't know much about you. And, uh, you know, and now that we know each other, uh, the, the feeling is mutual. If there's anything I can do to help out, you let me know. So it's great to know someone else that has strong faith and strong values. And uh, I want to be in your circle as much as uh, as much as I can. So thank you so much, Richard. All right, brother. And when I interview Tony, I'm going to I'm going to tell him you sent me over there. So I'm going to let him know that you sent me there. <laughs> Excellent, man. Excellent. Right, God bless. Hey, thank you. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share.
please feel free to leave us a comment.